Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a trombonist, composer, and arranger from Switzerland, Christopher Swist. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have Christopher Schweister. Did I get it? You did. Oh, that's a Fantastic. first. With yeah. us today. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I feel good about myself. So, can you please yeah. introduce yourself to the people, please? Yeah. Hey, Lander. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Christoph Schweitzer. I'm based in Hamburg at this point, but I used to live in New York uh, for about a decade, uh, from the mid-90s till shortly after... Um, after uh, God, nine eleven. Um, anyway, uh, I'm a trombonist. I, co- I compose music. I arrange music. I produce concerts. I wear all these hats, and uh, I'm really happy that Leander invited me to do this episode with him. It's hmm. a great podcast. Well, I'm honored to have you, sir. So let's get <laughs> into that. So after nine eleven, you left New York City. Right, it was a bit. It was a bit after that, but it was like nine eleven didn't really have that much to do with it. But it was uh, it was a combination of factors. But I, in like, as of like early two thousand and two, I was in Hamburg. Yeah, but I was but I was born in Switzerland, which is which is yet another story. So okay, I mean that's another interesting thing. So you learned where did you study music? I should ask. Well, I I. I I tried studying music um, or like going to school at various points, but I, I, I always kind of faded out of the institution. So I was, in, um, I was in Bern, Switzerland for a moment where I was a young man, like 20 years old. And then I just sort of drifted into the scene, um, doing tons of projects, teaching a bit here and there, touring. And, um, and then I ended up going to, to New York. You know, we all wanted to see it at that point and find out what it was and I ended up staying for uh, for more than 10 years and I went to uh, and that was in 1992 I went to Manus College in uh, Manhattan for a minute and um, but then again you know just drifted off into my thing but uh, as far as that but that you know that said I did have a lot of teachers and a lot of people influenced me and I you know people my peers that I, I uh, consider my teachers by all means Okay. And before I even forget, because this is important, you have a new yeah. album coming out in a few weeks. And that's right. Billy Hart is on it. That's true. Yeah. How did you pull that off? Well, um, you asked that the. You asked the you asked the question at the perfect point in time because uh, when I came to New York, that was in 1992, um, and I I was at this school called Manus, and uh, I was in the office, and I said, "Well, uh, so who is going to be my my ensemble teacher?" And uh, the lady goes, "Well, that'll be Billy Hart." I said, "What?" You know, I couldn't I kind of couldn't believe it, but then uh, but it was all from there, you know. So. Uh, uh, that was that was the first time I I, be, I got a chance to be in touch with uh, with him with with what he represents with all the uh, the history and the spirit and his his abilities you know that he um, 
that he's really good at, at teaching to this day. You know, he still does that, of course. Uh, he's at Overland mainly and at uh, New England Conservatory in Boston. And uh, we did projects back in those days. Um, we're talking about around the year 2000. And then uh, there was a longer period of time where we didn't have much contact at all. Uh, but then in 2015, uh, we did a recording with the WDR Big Band in Cologne. That was a really great project. I'm so happy we got the chance to do that, um, where I arranged and conducted Billy's compositions to be played by the big band with him in the drum chair. That was a record called The Broader Picture, which came out on Enja in 2016. And um, <clears throat> so what we're doing now, um, it's kind of a follow-up to that, but different. Of course, it's a small band this time, and it's a collective project. It's uh, everybody actually contributed compositions. And uh, what else do you want to know? Could he still jam as good as he used to? Billy is brilliant. He's unbelievable. I mean, you, you've, you've probably... I don't know if you listened to the record, but it. Yes, I did. Uh, he's going to be, you know, for those who don't know, uh, November 29th, Billy turns 80. And um, yes, and he is in great shape. He is. Uh, oh, there's so many things to say about Billy. Um, you know, one of them is if you don't know, he's been more records than most musicians that that we know like he's in some 600 albums i think and the reason reason there's a reason why that is so um and he just brings all this this amazing set of of knowledge of competence of collaborative spirit to every situation that that he is in um which you know to this day um is the reason why he is in such high demand. He, he himself, you know, he kept saying, oh, I thought, you know, I, I took the teaching positions because I thought it was going to be over at some point and nobody was going to call me anymore, but it, it didn't, for him, it didn't go that way. People kept calling him to this day, you know, so, and uh, interestingly enough, also- You just opened another bag of worms right there that I'm going to have to cut you on right now. So you can do, do what now? I say to people who teach college, neither A, cannot get a new gig anymore, B, got burnt out, or C, just weren't good enough. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with me when no, I say I, that? Say, say it again. I'm not sure. I, I'm not even sure I understand you correctly. Okay, so the people who teach music, neither mm -hmm. A, didn't get called up anymore. Like, they had their run. B, they got burnt out in the music road. Like, they didn't want to go on tour anymore. They hated the road. Or C, they just plain weren't good enough to hang with the people, so they took a teaching position. Hmm. No, none of that is true with none of that is true with Billy. You know, he is, uh <laughs> No, I just mean people in general, not Billy. I know Billy. Oh, people, people in general. Yes. No, that that that, that will be that would be an unfair that would be an unfair thing to say. Um, you know, people's lives people's lives go in. Um. <clears throat> um people's lives evolve in different ways so and and i think the the life of the touring musician uh with the way the scene is now in general i mean not even taking into account what corona means means or is going to mean um but you know there's been less of that 
um, over the past couple of decades. And that's been the evolution of the business, I think. And so teaching in general has taken on a much greater importance in most people's lives, I think, than it used to. Okay. So um, I know personally, I know a lot of excellent, excellent musicians who, uh, who have teaching positions or who teach privately or who share their knowledge uh, with students. And uh, it's something extremely valuable and extremely beautiful. And, you know, keep in mind that today we have the possibility, um, you know, it used to be that you had to come to New York to understand or to, to study with New York people. Now with all the possibilities the internet offers, you don't even have, and this, of course, being there is a whole, it's another story, but mm-hmm. to be in contact with, uh, with anyone you want to be in contact with all over the world, it's not a problem at all, given the possibilities we have with the internet these days. You know, so for the music to be propagated that way, I think is a great thing. Of course, you know, even even if the like you said, you know, if the scene if if the scene isn't what it used to be, of course, you could call it a decline. But um, um, on another note, you know, things have always have always been in flux. There's always been a change going on, you know, <clears throat> and music and art, and it's not. It's never going to, as a whole, it's never going to decline. It just moves to different places, maybe, or or it, it's the way or the way it's being propagated, or um, even performed. That's about to change. Um, so you don't think the jazz itself, scene is dying? Well, I can't say. I can't. Say, uh, I don't think so. Really, I don't. Uh, there's there's so many excellent excellent musicians um, that I see coming from the schools or you know younger player younger players. Um, there's so much creativity going on that I think um, the music the music there's so much great 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 music that's that's being that's being turned out that's being developed. Um, so I'm not I'm not afraid at all from that side. You know whether or not people are going to be uh, um, able to make a living doing that uh, is another question, but that was always a question, even by, even uh, decades ago. And uh, uh, I don't know about, you know, the, the audience with the internet, the audience, the audience is bigger than it ever used to be. Uh, it's just that um, with the way streaming works, of course, it's, it's become challenging to be paid. Yeah, that you, I do for, agree with. For for, for 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 your music, you know. So yeah. Um. So to work out these ends is is a challenge that we're that we're, that we're all facing. But the music is here. The performers are here. The music is in great shape. And there's a lot of interest in the music. So uh, why shouldn't there be ways to to make it work? You know, let's be creative. It's always been the answer. Well, the thing why I was confused about it is because mm-hmm. the number of sales in music in general drop in. Jazz has less than 1% of the music world market. Mm. So I'm just curious what's going to happen, especially with jazz clubs closing all the time in the city. At least New York City. I'm sorry. I don't know about the situation yeah, well, in Germany. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, well, I... Um, 
I couldn't say that much about you know, like I'm the wrong person to talk to about New York right now. You know, like like what I hear is what I hear is rumors. So like, of course, I everything is closed right right now, and no. Nobody knows what's going to open up or what it's going to look like. Uh, if anything, if if anything is going to be left, and or before that, of course, you're right. You know, it's changed. I I understood that much uh, since since the days where I was living in the city. Um, there were. Uh, it seemed that there are less opportunities now than there used to be. Um, but if you look at a city like Berlin, mm-hmm. and there's a lot, there is a lot of places to play. And even, you know, if you look at my city at Hamburg, um, I think we're, we're, we're in a good place. You know, if you think about what, if I think about what the scene was like when I got here uh, 17 years ago uh, and where we are now with all the opportunities for musicians perform, to perform, um, with everything that's happening, with, uh, with the level of art, that's being produced of music or uh, um, there's been a huge evolution. So my feeling about that is, is a positive. My, from, from, where, from my perspective where I live is a positive one. Okay. I, you know, said. But of course, you're, uh, but, you know, it's like, like you said, of course, you know, the, the music market is not what it used to be. It's, it's, it's changed drastically. But uh, what are we going to do about it? I mean, what are your ideas? My ideas? Let me ask you the question, if I could. Uh, yeah, about what the music market need to go. Or could, we can't limit ourselves to what's jazz in, and what's not jazz mm. in that terms. Mm. A lot of the same traditional bebop, real book music needs to be updated, modernized, because half of those songs were popular songs in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Uh, another thing that we need to do is just plain understand that people do not want to hear eight-minute tracks anymore. The average person. Unless you're doing something that great. Mm-hmm. And as much as I yeah. love yeah. my rhythm sections being one, no one wants to hear a drum solo yeah. on a track. No one wants to hear a bass solo on a track. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff. There's certain things that are meant for live and not for recording sessions. Wow. Well, the average pop song, when you listen to it, is what? Three minutes Mm. and I think it's 20-something seconds. Right, right, right. Yeah. Mm. That's how you get into a radio rotation. (laughs) (laughs) But... Um, but don't you think that jazz is 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 in a different niche? And like the jazz no, it, listener is always is, it, is it always is. an aficionado, and it will will a jazz listener will listen with more patience and with more curiosity, and and want to go more inside the music than than the average uh, pop music listener. That's what the live performance is for. Mm. If you go to an R and B concert, it's the same thing. Especially if someone like we use Chris Brown. Chris Brown could dance. The mm. rhythm section or the instrumentalist perform and solo on a live show while he dances and does a lot of stuff. That's what keeps people coming in. Same thing with someone like Beyonce. It's just that you need the track that is going to get people to come in, that's going to get them interested. And then at the same time, at least in New York, I know the Holy Grail and the Met guys performing at like Birdland or Jazz at Lincoln Center. Birdland holds what? 300 Mm. people? 200 people? We're kind of limiting Maybe, ourselves. Yeah. 
I don't I, I don't know, man. Mm-hmm. That's just my short list of stuff that needs to change. <laughs> and the fact that people spend 60000 on the low end on a jazz education, when there's some guests that came on, like, you, like, like how should I say, they dropped out of the music programs, they self-taught themselves, they go on the road and just grind. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff I noticed. But yeah, back to you though. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's <clears throat> I'm I'm. It's interesting. Like I, I don't. Uh, I, in some ways, I don't even. I don't even qualify to talk about these things. But but I would be so much more interested in. I need to go back and listen to those episodes actually in that because I want to find out where where these guys are or what what their lives are like nowadays. You know, young musicians. Understood, but. In other news, because we were talking about it, and I still want to hear it off story air. So you used to travel with my former teacher, Ray Anderson, and you were telling me that you were in right, Russia right, with right. Him. I do want to hear the end of the story. So <laughs> <laughs> please update everybody. Was, on sorry. Oh, well, okay. Well, yeah. Well, uh, that was in a band called the George Grunz Concert Jazz Band, which is one of the greatest big bands that ever existed, and. Uh, it went through many, many editions, but I was fortunate enough to be part of some of those editions in the mid-90s. So in 1996, um, I was 20-something at the time, uh, George Gruns, who was 60-something. We're both Swiss, you know, just so you know, and, and he, uh, we made contact and he's, he said, well, uh, we have this tour coming up to, uh, uh, to Russia and uh, um, uh, do you want to be? Do you want to be in the band? I said, well, sure, I want to. And um, so the band is, you know, it was always a band mostly of uh, of New York players. So, but the most of the concerts that we did were in Europe or elsewhere, uh, all over the planet, even though we did play in North America and uh, including New York at some point too. But anyway, um, we went to Switzerland not far from where I grew up in the mountain, beautiful town. And, uh, and we rehearsed and I was, uh, I couldn't believe it. You know, I was sitting there in the section next to Ray Anderson, Dave Bartron of Blood, Sweat and Tears and Art Barron, who had played with, uh, with Duke Ellington when he was a young man. He was one, I think it was one of the last people to join the Duke Ellington's band in the day. So, uh, I was, for me, like to be all around that, around that tradition around that spirit, I was, an unbelievable was an unbelievable experience, I have to say. And that that band had so much energy and so much so much spirit, so much of everything. So we rehearsed, we played one concert, and got on a plane and uh, flew to Moscow. And the same day we arrived, um, got on the night train um, to a town called Voronezh. More, I don't know, like what do I know, fifteen thousand uh, miles south of Moscow, maybe something like that. And uh, in 1996, that was an adventure to do that. You know, so we were in this night train in the compartment, I sh- you know, sharing compartments with Ray Anderson and other people and just doing the hang. It was unbelievable. And uh, we got off the train. We, uh, we played the concert and it was, uh, people came up and they wanted, us, they wanted us to sign dollar bills. That was kind of, that, that kind of felt weird. Um, but it's hard to describe the atmosphere, 
know, it was, uh, it, was, it was a total other world. It was a total world. So the next day, we had a concert in another town called Saratov, uh, except nobody knew how we were going to get there. And in the end, somebody found a plane. It was the, the only plane available in the airport in that town. And uh, we all kind of looked at each other and said, well, are we going to get on this plane? But we had uh, one of our trumpet players, Sasha Sipriak, and he is Russian. So he knew the whole scene and says, look, trust me, guys, this plane's been flying for, for 40 years. It'll fly today. So uh, we got on the plane and, um, and flew to the next town and played another concert in the middle of Russia, Russian province. Russian province. Um, and that was all in, <clears throat> all in all, it was, it was really an experience that, uh, that brought, you know, when you go through things like that, basically not knowing where you're going the next day or how you're even going to get there. Um, so they booked the gig yeah, and didn't tell you guys how to get there, didn't arrange it. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I have no idea who organized what, you know, but... <laughs> But it wasn't. But anyway, it was. It was just. It was improvising. You know, it, it was just. Um, it was interesting, and uh, we were we were we were really scared to get on that plane. But it was. It was. I mean, we all obviously, we all landed safely, and uh, it was. It was just a new world for all of us. It was a new world, a beautiful world. You know, a different, different, different mindset of the people. And uh, as a band, I think it really, uh, it's something we talked about for a long time. Well, that's good, man. So let me just ask you one question on this. So what is your opinion on the difference between the German scene and Mm -hmm. the New York scene? Wow. Well, again, you know, I'm, (laughs) it's been so long since I was in the New York scene, but it's, uh, um, the German scene has gotten a lot better, I think, over the like, like as in uh, as as is the case in, in pretty much all over Europe over the over the past uh, twenty years, I think. You know, but the reason simply being that at this point everybody's traveled, almost everybody's traveled to New York and gotten in touch with what the level in New York, which of course is still. Um, still the highest level there is you know the requirements or the uh, and it's probably gone up since my days um so a lot of a lot of catching up has been done um but no but then certainly the um it's hard to explain you know like the <clears throat> the way the way rhythm sections play is definitely different here um and uh, like the value like you said maybe the value that's being put on on standard repertoire or uh uh being able to function in the bebop language um is maybe not it's not emphasized quite as much as it as it, as it probably still is in new york which i'm not saying that to qualify it you know it's because it's a great uh it's a subject it's a big subject of uh, of discussion 
personally, I believe it's very important to to master that language and understand, or at least to an extent, you know, and understand what it is. I, I believe it's wrong to say it's the only language, but you should you should come, you should understand it, you should come from it, you should know what you should know how to swing, you should know how to handle uh, harmonies, you should know how to phrase, and um, that I agree with. Oh no, all these all these things, you know, and 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 uh, if you're dealing with uh, "Quote unquote," the bebop uh, uh, set of criteria. Uh, if you master that, then you know it. But then you go on and do whatever it is you do with it. You know, which which is which is something that's been done. You know, ever since ever since. Uh, um, if you want, you know, bebop was a style in the in the fifties, and after that, it became uh, an ingredient of other styles. Maybe I could say that like that. Yes. Now, the only thing I would say on that in terms of bebop from the 50s was when was the last time a bebop song hit the, the charts, like the billboard charts? <laughs> yeah. I was there. Was there, ever, was there ever a bebop chart that hit the charts? <laughs> a song that hit the charts? Well, what was the last? I think Bossa Nova was the last, like, if you want to consider that jazz, which I do. That actually made an mm. impact on the charts in America. Well, what about what about uh, what Weather Report and Chick Corea did in the seventies? Didn't those records chart? Yeah, but the jazz community like looked down on those. There were a lot of was like, that so? A lot of uh, the jazz community looked down on a lot of those projects from the seventies. Hmm. From the Crusaders to, like you said, Weather Report, Herbie Hancock got a one star from Downbeat. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Did that, he? Yeah. Oh yeah. Which yeah. album? Which album was that? Which album was that? Uh, what was that? What's? Oh shoot! Now you're making me brain fart. Hold on. Mm. I gotta we'll get back out. to you with the name on it. Hold on. All right, all right, really, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Yeah. Sunlight. Thank you. So oh, sunlight. Yeah, oh, wow. sunlight. Wow, I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, Herbie, Herbie was something. Herbie was somebody who was really smart, you know, talking about what musicians can do to build their careers. You know, like Herbie, Herbie, I don't know that much about him, but from what I see, he was really smart about lots of things. You know, like he was, he was writing jingles even when he started, even when he started out. Um, but then doing all the art music on the side, not, not on the side, you know, but he did that. He, he was, he uh, he did all those uh, adventures albums in the beginning. The all the stuff they did with Miles. Um, then they M one D each, you know, which Billy Hart, who we already talked about, was in, you know, and and the, to to this day, I believe that, um, or even actually, Billy says that, you know, he said he at one point said, uh, "Look, there was never a time in my life where I was happier than when we were together in M one D that band." That was that was you know, and Mondishi was an adventurous band, as you know. You know they 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 um, they uh, they used really interesting art meter concepts. They really interesting um, concepts of what you would call play playing free. You know, experimenting with sounds, with electronics. Yes. Going all those, this different, this, this, these different directions, and then, 
Of course, Herbie decided to, uh, or he was given the opportunity, from what I understand, to um, uh, to quote unquote go commercial and start the Headhunters, um, which obviously hit a nerve, you know. But on the but he never stopped. Uh, um, and he understood, you know, like if you're if you're talking about doing a little song or a short song, you know, that has pop song quality, Herbie's a good example because you know he 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 wrote Watermelon Man, he wrote Cantaloupe Island, you know, those are mm-hmm. <laughs> those are um, little you know little songs or those pop songs, you know, that have that have all the but they have all the ingredients of a great composition. But of course, uh, he had Herbie has all this other vocabulary. Um, if you listen to uh, my point of view or the prisoner, you know, then he goes into he goes into all these other directions. And as a player, um, you know, there are these videos where they play with. Uh, I remember one um, from the two thousands, where they play. Uh, I think it's the JVC Festival. Him and Dave Holland, Brian Blade, and Wayne Shorter. You know, and it's wide, wide open. And he functions perfectly in that. It's it, the music they make together is amazing. You no, know, it doesn't sound like he is coming from somewhere else than ever than anyone else's. You know, from a different place. So, um, I don't know. So what I'm trying to say is, I guess he he was an example of somebody who was who was really who was smart about steering. Yeah. No, no, I agree with that. Yeah, and obviously it worked out for him. Are you there? It worked great for Billy. I just didn't know that was okay. his favorite time on it. But yeah. So, yeah. question about your well, you know, I mean, you know, Billy, Billy's, Billy's whole. Yeah, yeah. No, go ahead, go ahead. You were saying yeah, something I, about I, Billy. I was, I was just confused because. It, it, oh yeah, okay. Well, um, you know, Billy's life is different. You know, like Billy, Billy was always. Um, Billy didn't see himself as a producer, or a, a, in, in the sense that. Um, that someone like Herbie would. So he, um, you know, to, uh, I don't know, actually, I don't know that much about him, but I know, as as you know, look, he went to so many stations of just playing, playing, playing with uh, with so many people. So he was with Stan Getz for a while. Um, that was how, that was early after, um, after the M- Mundishi time. Um, then much later, he, there was a time where he was with, um, Charles Lloyd, with European players, you know, with Popo Stenson and uh, Anders Jormin. Mm-hmm. Popo Stenson, great, great piano, piano pianist. Um, uh, Anders Jormin, um, bass player, fantastic, fantastic bass player. And um, from Sweden. Um, and tons of like, Tons and tons and tons, and it doesn't. It never. I don't know if, probably, you know, you should, you should. Maybe Ethan Iverson would know. You know, like all the all the situations that Billy's been in. Uh, Mingus Dynasty was one. You know, this is uh, everything, everything really. So, um, so he he simulated, or he he soaked up so much information, and. and he he went in so many different directions. You know, he he recorded with Warren Vichet, you know, the um, traditional style trumpet player, like really great uh, all time all time uh, uh, trumpet trumpet player, and that was and 
<clears throat> that was on the one end of the spectrum and the other end of the spectrum is maybe even his own band, you know, the one with, uh, with Ethan and Penn Street and, um, and Mark Turner, which is uh, uh, a really what I would call a modern contemporary concept. You know, that absorbs, and in that band, they absorb so many directions from free playing to, to bebop to um, classical. You know, of course, the, the, one of the main influences that's always present is, uh, is Lenny Tristano because they're so into, into the lines, into the voice leadings. So that's as much as I know. And, and when, I, when, I, when I met him, when I met Billy, uh, I think in the mid 90s i think that was just around the time where he where he began to teach more you know like other like other guys like other musicians who i met at the time you know another, another teacher of mine is dave taylor the bass trombonist and um i think i was i was about his first student when he when he actually started started teaching a lot you know and he's he's had so many students since then and had such a great influence on everybody Mm. Well, let's talk more about you for a second before we head to sell. So tell us about your album. What else about it that we need to know about or look forward towards? Oh, wow. Okay, great. Uh, well, the album is called Stream. Actually, to be honest with you, it's already been released. But... Um, My mistake. It's not being... <laughs> but it's not being... But, 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 exactly. But, but, but in secret. But it's, all, it's there. You can find it in all the, uh, on all the platforms. Christoph writes a stream. And uh, I'm really, really pleased uh, with this album. Um, you should know the names of the players on it. There's a saxophone player who I met here in Hamburg, in, in, in Germany. And he lives in Cologne. His name is Sebastian Gille. Uh, our pianist is Pablo Held. You might have heard his name. He is, of all of us, he's the most popular one. And the bass player is Joris Tepe. Joris Tepe is a Dutch bass player. He's about my age, a little older. And um, he came to New York, actually, uh, around the same time that I did in the, in the early 90s. Um, and he still spends part of his time there. Of course, not right now. Right now, in, the, in these days, he's in Holland, where he's from. Um, and then Billy Hart, and that's the band. And we did it as a collaborative project, which is also something that I'm really happy about because I think collaborative projects can do or can generate results that um, projects that one single leader does, maybe, of course, it can be great. But uh, there's something that only these, only these projects do. And if you think about some of the records that we all um that we all treasure you know like for instance uh the um, miles davis my was quintet albums both both quintets um if you look at the compo who, who if you look at the composers it's always been it's always been a collaborative thing a, colla a collaborative way of working so i'm really happy that we were able to do this on this album it's all original material that we did i wrote four new songs um that was uh took a bit of courage because none of it was tried in any way you know sometimes when you do an album you you deal with music that you tried and tested before but um that wasn't the case but it came out great and um and we added and we did add one standard at the end 
is a version of Body and Soul on the album. But what you'll hear is a really, um, you know, talking about what we did before about the free playing and the bebop and the different uh, different styles. It's um, there's a f pretty wide range of colors that we have on this album. Um, you have to hear it to understand what I mean. But we we go we go a lot of the different directions, and but it still fits together in a one picture, and that's the great thing. Okay, man. Well, like yeah. I said, definitely looking forward towards finishing it. Even though I heard most yeah. of it already, people's already out. You did, okay. Yes. And yeah. Billy's birthday. How do you feel? I actually. How do you it. feel? I could tell you that right now after track number two. I was just <laughs> like, yeah, okay. I like this. I like it. <laughs> wow. It was it. Well. well so, yes. No, those are not. You know, we we didn't do five minute tracks. I'm sorry, or three minute tracks. Hey, <laughs> ours, ours are long. I have no problem with it. We're talking. What? Okay. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna make that clear. Me personally, I could deal with a solid ten minute track and have no problem with it. You see, you yes, see, me. I'm the same. And I can tell I you many songs yeah. that I yeah. listen to that are that long. Okay, it's just I the average person that's getting into jazz might not like that. You could have extended versions. I mean, mm -hmm. unless you're prison printing albums like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of my favorite songs, Red Clay, is 12 minutes, I believe. Exactly. I don't know how long Spain is off the top of my head, but I just want to I want to say it's 10 minutes. So, yeah. the, the, the original version of Spain? Yeah, the original one. Um, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. But, yeah. That's not the issue. It's just somebody that's new that's coming in. It's hard to get spins I hear you okay. on the radio with 10-minute tracks unless you're on a jazz station. Uh, it'll be interesting, though, to do the... That would be something, like, to do the... Re, to, or maybe it's been done, you know, like, to do the research. And say, so how does... How do people get interested in jazz uh, these days? Somebody forces um, them to a jazz club would be my guess. Why? I don't know. You know, it's, it's isn't jazz something that that you that you discover at some point sooner or later, and to say, "Wow, this is so cool! This is what I want to be listening to, and this is what corresponds to my uh, whatever to my mindset." And um, you know, and to hear a longer song or to hear the song evolve as everybody is improvising, and, and, and you know, in, the, in all the different styles that that there are, um, that's what makes me tick. Isn't that isn't that the jazz listener? You know, is this is when I hear um, from the practical point of view, you know, saying, okay, yeah, if you're, if you're, but how, how, um, this might be a stupid question, but how important is radio even these days with it, with it, when every, when everything is readily available on the, on the internet at all times? Well, then you're what's the meaning on, of radio? You're relying on playlists mm -hmm. that somebody could selectively choose who you listen to and who not. Okay. That's the same as the radio, but at least in the radio, mm -hmm. it tends to be more whatever could give me the most ratings so I could sell airtime, like commercials. I see. Mm -hmm. That's the way I see it. Because at the end of the day, it is a business. They want you to listen, so you listen to their airtime so that they make a profit. And if of you're course. playing in 60 minutes, let's just say you play... Uh, off the top of my head, I'm going to say 15 songs. That's 45 minutes right there because on average, the songs are three minutes. 
and that's 15 minutes worth of commercials. Now, right. if you have a jazz song, what, you're going to play four songs and then have 20 to 15, you, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. It gets, yeah. It's more of a selective audience you have. Now, that's good in mm. a way, but I want the biggest sample size I could get and the biggest portion of the pie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the question that you're touching on here is, is, is like, it's a key, it's, it's the key question of our business these days is how do you get, how do you get people interested in the music? You know, it's the key question. Like it could be the same for classical music probably, or other types of music, you know, well, how do you get kids? Has its own headaches. But if you're going to use pop, the only thing with pop that I must say that people don't like to say is that it's, the main artists tend to be younger. A lot of them of don't have a long shelf life. Right. And they do, they try their best to stay within a limited range. Like they're not too experimental. Right, right, right. So you have a lot of rock bands that would have a certain sound for the radio. And then you go to their show, it's completely different. Is that so? Yeah. So you have a pop song that hits yeah. the mainstream. Okay, maybe someone like mm. Santana. Carlos Santana, when he had yeah. his second big wave, I want to say, in the 90s or early 2000s, he had mm. a very pop station. The tracks were between three to four minutes. And then if you look up his videos on YouTube or his concerts, if you ever go, he will do like, uh, what's that song go? <sighs> Maria, Maria, he would drag that out for like eight, ten minutes. And then smooth, he wow. can easily do ten minutes. Wow, I see. Well, um, it's a good point. You know, may, maybe you have a point. You know, it's, it's for 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 jazz musicians to think to think about it that way and say, okay, well, let's. How about we do um, we do media media ready? You know, whether it's the radio or the internet, media ready versions of what we're of what our music is, and make them viable for for certain channels to people like the channels that actually. To make people discover, you know, because I, um, the point you made um, inherently by saying, um, you know, people might be listening to playlists that already, um, which is already a prearranged uh, program of music, as is the radio. Um, uh, if it's which, which, which is which are of course channels for them to discover music as opposed to you know what you're going to look for and you go on Spotify and, and that and you find it you know by that time you already know it so but we're what we're interested in this in getting somebody uh, interested so to create a format or a short format to um match those media why not you know it's uh, I mean you you have a point I mean, it's something that's that that's actually suggestion another that suggestion i would say is that you got to write songs that people could dance to <laughs> well, I mean that that's been that's been a point of contention in jazz, I think, ever since the beginning, right? But it's uh, you know, there's different types of jazz. You know, there's if if I listen uh different types of jazz listeners, if I listen to Tim Byrne, uh to Tim Byrne's music, Tim Byrne with Tom Rainey and um or Mark Ducrea, this this was one example. Are you familiar with those guys at all? Yes, sir. Yeah, you see, so so of course that music wasn't. I guess Tom would say, "Why? Of course you can dance to that music, you know." 
but but of course it's not it's it's not it's not it's not the music with uh, with the boom chuck backbeat but it's a whole different it's a whole different thing um so jazz is always um uh had all those uh all those very very directions you know and some people some people do want dancing music and others want to listen to it you know but the, what's the good what's what's your favorite example of of um of danceable Jazz music does that exist? Does that exist? Ah, uh, let's say Cherry Pop and Daddies was a good example of that. Mm. They had a song "Zoot Suit Riot." It was okay, almost top forty. If it wasn't top forty, I'm forgetting that off the top of my head in America. Okay, yeah, it was a when heavy was swing. When song. was that? That was like ninety nine, yeah. I think, ninety eight. Okay, yeah, Steve yeah. came on and yeah. spoke about yeah. it. So there are people out there doing it. Actually, he said it was more ska space than swing, but yeah. Yeah. In other words, you got to get people to look into it from that point of view. You got to figure out a way to drag it in, drag them in. That's all I can say. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, we got a point. We got a point. No doubt. Make it fun. Make, Make it, it fun, fun for them. And for- off that one album, he sold roughly a million plus copies. Wow. And I make that joke with a lot of other people. I'm like, if a jazz artist sells 5,000 albums, they are the man. They're on the cover of every album. I mean, every magazine you could think of. Of course. Yeah, yeah. 5,000. Right. Oh, but yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, sir, what is your next... <laughs> I know, I know. What is your next type of project going to be? Do you have it planned out yet? Uh, what's that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, it's, it's already done actually. Um, uh, nice. Actually, something that you're going to like. I, 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 I'm going to pitch that to you too. You know, you're going to. And actually, this is somebody. Um, now, this is somebody we should talk to about. But uh, are you familiar with Raul de Souza? Speaking of dance music. Yes. Sweet Lucy, yeah, Daisy May. So uh, yeah, so. Um, I met some uh, Brazilian musicians uh, about three years ago here in Hamburg, and um, and they were working with Raul Souza. Raul Souza is eighty six now, mm-hmm. or he um, let's see, yeah, he'll be he'll be eighty seven next year, and um, and he's still active. He still sounds great. So we did a couple of concerts and ended up doing an album uh, just about a year ago. In October, we recorded in Hamburg um, with a band, a band which we called the Raul de Souza Generations Band. So it was, uh, it was, it was like Raul, of course, is the oldest, and it's me and the bass player, and then the pianist is a bit younger, and our um, our drummer is 25 years years old, Brazilian. Uh, Matheus Scherdim is his name. Okay, he lives in Vienna. Great, great drummer. I gotta look him. Up. And. Um, Oh, I got to look that up, you know, but I'll, I'll send you, <clears throat> actually, it's just been manufactured. So, and, uh, and the pianist, you should remember him too. Um, his name is uh, Alex Correa. Um, he is great, great composer and arranger too. He has, uh, he has a pr- project that he calls uh, Concerto para Piano e Universo, which he um, recorded with Alex Sapiagin and, um, ah, why isn't it coming to me now? Um, Will Vincent. 
sax player. Yeah, they they were on that. They, they, that album is done. I don't know if it's out now, but the music is 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 off the is off the map. It's so good. Um, you know, talking about music that's in a sense actually danceable, very very strong melodic melodically and all that. You know, you, you should listen to it. But anyway, so we we made a record we made a record with uh, with all the shows that we did new versions of uh, of uh, some of those George Duke songs that they did in the day, uh, Sweet Lucy and Daisy May. But um, Raul at 86 actually wrote three new songs for the album, which were recorded. And um, we covered a bunch of other songs. We covered Pesar de Bosse, which is a famous song by Jacob Buarque, a protest song. And, uh, and we did uh, Tombow and Seven for the um, Arto Moreira song. We have our very own version of that and so on. So that's something that's going to come out in uh, February and March. Of course, it was supposed to come out months ago, but uh, that's the plan now. And we hope we're going to get the chance to tour with it later uh, in 2021. Okay, man. I'm looking forward towards that. Yeah. You got to slip it to me ahead yeah. of time. <laughs> so. I will. <laughs> Trust me, I will. Did you? Yeah, so that's one of the things. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that again. So, sir, could you please tell the people your social media, your websites, where to find you, etc.? Yep. You can find me on www.christophschweitzer.com. That's, oh, just spell that. C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E. Schweitzer is C-H. Oh, I, I realized I should have changed that. Okay, cool. Good thing we talk about it, right? So it's www.christophschweitzer.com. Christophschweitzer.com. The project is called Stream. If you go on Spotify or anywhere, uh, you'll find a Christoph Schweitzer Stream with Billy Hart, Pablo Held, Sebastian Gilla, and Joris Tepe. And uh, you'll, you can find me on Facebook, Christoph Schweitzer. Uh, I have my artist page. I have my profile. Say hi. I'm looking forward to being in touch with you. Okay, everyone. Well, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. I want to say thank you all for listening. Steve, Chris, thank you for coming out again. means a lot. Okay? And everyone, have a good night. Thank you, Leander. You too, Leander. Thank you so much for having me. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>